God has a marvelous way of working with His Word, the Bible. Verses are there, chapters are there, they have remained there for centuries. And you and I can read a certain portion of Scripture, and we can read it a hundred times, two hundred times, five hundred times, and and we read a verse, and it means nothing to us. And then all of a sudden, there comes a moment when we read a verse, and we are stopped in in our tracks. Maybe we get goosebumps as we read the verse. That's what happened to me back in October. I am reading the Bible, and I'm coming to a verse in Luke 22, verse 32. And when I read that verse, I just get goosebumps all over the place, and, and something happens when I read that verse. And I look at that verse, and I say, I've got to share this verse with the people. I've got to preach a sermon on this verse. And I said, now's not the time. We're in the middle of the capital campaign. I'm not going to preach on Luke 22 right now. And then I said, as soon as the capital campaign's over, I'm going to preach on it. And, and I didn't, because all of a sudden it was a Christmas season. And after the Christmas season, I'm going to preach on this, and I just didn't feel comfortable preaching on it. And now is the time, and people, that's how God operates Now is the time, six months I have waited to share this verse and this message with you. And as soon as I share it with you, if you're of that nature, you're going to get goosebumps because you're not going to believe what it says for this time and this season in our lives and in this country's life. Luke 22, in a few moments, I'll share that verse. My mom and dad, when they were on this earth, dad in heaven five years, mom two years later joining him there. I would call my mom and dad maybe once every three weeks, and and I realized that wasn't enough. But when they're gone, you can't call them anymore. In my 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and up until 61 or 62 years of age, I would call my mom and dad... And uh, there was always a pattern to the phone calls, right? When you call your parents, always a pattern. Okay, so mom talks for 95% of the time, and then dad for 5% of the time. That's how it always operated. But I love my dad because at the end of every conversation, he would say to me, Paul, your mom and I pray for you every single day. And whenever he would say that, whether I'm in my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, or 60s, whenever he would say that, there'd be a little tingle there that would always touch a chord with me. Because when my dad said to me, I pray for you every single day, he wasn't lying, he wasn't stretching the truth, he was absolutely doing that, praying for me every single day. And when everything was calm and peaceful and I would call them and, and, you know, my voice would be filled with joy. And still he would say at the end of the conversation, Mom and I pray for you every single day. It would mean something to me. But when I would call him and my voice would be sad or he could tell that I was troubled He would ask me what's going on, and sometimes I would tell him, and most of the time I wouldn't because I didn't want mom and dad to worry. When my voice was troubled, when something was going on that was causing me pain, when my father would say with deeper emotion, 
I pray for you every single day. I can't tell you what that meant to me. And when Dad passed to heaven, you know, one of the first things I thought of, truly, honestly, one of the first things I thought of five years ago when he went to heaven was, he's not praying for me any longer. He's not here. And when Mom joined him in heaven two years later, I thought to myself, there are two people who love me more than anyone on this earth, and they prayed for me every single day, and they're not here. During our capital campaign uh, this past fall, October, November, there would be times in the middle of the night I would wake up and I would say, what if this fails? What if this falls flat on its face? What if there's no response? What if the Spirit doesn't bless it? What's going to happen with the building and the bills? And then, in the middle of the night, when those fears would come upon me, I'd be thinking about two people, and they're going to be embarrassed when I mention their names. I would be thinking of Bill and Barb. They were the chair people of the paracommittee, and I've always thought they had a special connection with God. And I would think to myself, they are praying to God about this capital campaign And 10% of this congregation is joining with them, praying about this campaign. And when I would think about that, my fears would go away. Bill and Barb were praying, and 10% of the people here were praying that God would bless this. And you know how extraordinarily he blessed that capital campaign. When I... Think, as I said last week, that 2.6 billion Christians on this earth are praying to God concerning this coronavirus. That they're asking Him to be with the families that have lost loved ones. That they be with those whose businesses have completely fallen apart. That they be with everybody who is endlessly losing sleep, filled with fear and anxiety, when I think that 2.8 billion Christians are praying that God would lift this virus, that He would use it in ways unimaginable to actually provide blessings in people's lives, when I think that that many Christians on this earth are praying to God... And we're talking 24-7, right? Because when I'm sleeping, I can't pray. There's someone on the other side of this world, and they're praying. When I think if the prayer of one righteous man can reach the heart of God, what in the world happens when billions of his children are beseeching the Father in heaven concerning this virus? Loretta Gliggy, Marge Nordmeyer, elderly people, They would say to me when I would go and visit them, they would say to me, Pastor, I pray for you every single day. And I can't tell you what it means when any person says to me or any person emails me or texts me and says, Pastor, I'm thinking of you, I'm praying for you. I can't tell you what that does to me inside. And here's Marge, and here's Loretta, and here's other shut-ins, and they say that. And, And then 20 minutes later, they are saying to me, Pastor, I don't know why God still has me here. I'm just a burden on my family. I can't do anything. I don't know why God hasn't taken me home. And I will say to them, did you not just say to me 
that you pray for me every single day. And they say, yeah, yeah, that's what we said. I said, there's nothing more important that you could ever do for me or any human being than to pray for them. So thank you, Loretta, and thank you, Marge, for praying for me every single day. And I, got, I hope God keeps you around for 20 more years because you'll be praying for me every single day. Here's my mom and dad praying for me. Here's Bill and Barb Lupke praying. Here's 2.8 billion people praying. I asked you at the start of this service to throw up a quick prayer, to lift up a quick prayer to God for someone else. And you just did that. But what I'm about to share with you is going to affect you, I pray, very, very deeply. Because now I'm going to share with you Luke chapter 22, verse 32. And you're going to understand why God brought it across my path six months ago and why he made me wait this long to share it. Luke 22, verse 32. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith does not fail you. And when your faith has returned to you, use that faith to strengthen your brothers and your sisters who are also being sifted as wheat. Six months ago, because God knew that this moment would come. And that you would need to hear this verse as much as I need to hear it. Simon, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. What does that mean? It means this. Satan desires to test my disciples, hoping to bring you to spiritual ruin. That's what the term means. He wants to bring my disciples who've been with me for three years. He wants to bring my children on this earth, 2.8 billion of them. He wants to bring them to spiritual ruin. And then Jesus says to Simon Peter, I have prayed for you. If Paul Strand was so comforted when mom and dad prayed for him... If Paul Strand was so comforted when he realized that Bill and Barb were praying for the Campbell campaign, when he is so touched, when a shut-in says to him, I'm praying for you, or some member of this church has reached out in the last three or four days and said, I'm praying for you. If that touches my heart so deeply, what does it do for you and for me when Jesus says, I am praying for you? Are you tempted to say, hey, Jesus, you did enough, man. You died on the cross for my sins and you rose from the dead. You did enough. Are you tempted to say that? I never would. Because when I sit and think that Jesus is praying for me, I can tell you how my fears melt away like an ice cube 
on a hot sidewalk in the middle of the summer. Jesus is praying for me that my faith does not fail. There are people who have prayer partners. It's not a bad thing to do. Uh, He's our prayer partner. When you are praying, he's joining with you. And when you're not praying because you're doing other things, or you're not praying because fear has grabbed hold for, for, uh, for the morning, when you're not praying, uh, he is. He's advocating for us in the presence of God himself. He's sitting there in a chair next to God's throne, and he's praying for Paul and Tony and Drew and Ray Ann and Mary Ann and Jackie and whatever your name is, plug it in right now. He's sitting in a chair next to God's throne, and he's praying for you. The Bible says some remarkable things about Jesus. Hebrews 4.15 We do not have a high priest in heaven who cannot sympathize with the feeling of our fear and weakness. We have a high priest who's been tempted as we have, yet without sin. He knows what you are going through. If you're an alcoholic, a fellow alcoholic knows what you're going through. If your spouse has died, if someone else has had their spouse die, they know what you're going through. If you have been through the worst nightmare on this earth, losing a son or daughter... You find someone else who's been through that nightmare. They understand what you're going through. Have any of you sweated drops of blood over this coronavirus? Have any of you woken up and your mattress is covered with blood because you are so anxious about this virus? Why do I mention it? Because of what the Bible mentions. Jesus was so filled with emotion. And part of that emotion might well have been fear. He's filled with so emotion, he's sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's saying, Father, some other way to save man from their sins. Let it happen some other way. Get back to the drafting table. Come up with a different plan. But then he didn't stop there. He said, not my will, but thine be done. He knows your fears. He was sweating drops of blood. I haven't yet, never will. He was. And then the Bible says, Hebrews 7.24, Since Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. He is able to save completely and forever whoever comes to God through him. A permanent priesthood, what do priests do? They offer sacrifices Voila, there's the cross, there's the sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God for all of mankind who have faith in Him. What else does the high priest do? They pray for the people. They pray for the people. They pray for the people. If He has a permanent priesthood and He's up in heaven and He's already taken care of the sins of mankind, what is He doing up there? Is it saying, God, I did my work 2,000 years ago. What else do you have for me to do? He doesn't ask God that because he intercedes as a great high priest for his children. 
For those who believe in him now and for those who don't, like the thief on the cross and the prodigal son, he is praying for them. If you are listening and don't believe in God, guess what he's doing? Praying for you. Perhaps using this moment in your life to say, power lies far beyond myself. I thought it was my wisdom and my charisma that got me where I was, and now I understand there is a far greater power. If you believe in Him, you're praying. If you don't believe, He's praying for you. He guards us from unseen dangers, and He comforts us. Listen carefully to what he said and didn't say. Simon, Satan has desired to have you. He wants to ruin your faith. And then does he say, Simon, go and pray for yourself. That's good advice, but he didn't say that to Simon. He didn't say, go pray for yourself. Good advice, but that ain't what he said. And did he say to Simon, I'm going to keep an extra watch on you, Simon. I'm going to pull up my police car and put it right in front of your house, and I'll try and protect you as much as I can, Simon. That would have been a, a nice thing to say, but he didn't say that. He said, I have prayed for thee that your faith doesn't fail. I'm not going to put an extra guard on you. I'm not asking you to pray more than you've been praying. I am telling you, Peter, I am praying for you. When you and I reach the hilltops of heaven and we look back on all the ways in which our Lord has led us and all the ways that God has protected us, how we will praise Him. He undid the mischief that Satan was doing on this earth. He undid the mischief that Satan was doing in your life. We have guardian angels. We know that. Matthew 18, 10. We have a guardian angel. But we have him. Thank you, God, for a guardian angel, but uh, thank you for you. You've been through this before. You don't realize it, but you've been through this before. When the cancer came, you would wake up in the morning and you would say, it's a beautiful day. And then you'd say, no, I've got cancer. You've been through a season like this before. It's been in the health realm or it's been in the financial realm when your house was foreclosed on, or when your marriage after 20 years or 10 years or 30 years evaporated, or the same day that you found out your dad had dementia, the same day you found out your 18-year-old was addicted to cocaine. You've been through this before, so have I. With my son's brain cancer 15 years ago, I've been through this before. When the only thing that mattered was your relationship to God, 
You couldn't read the Bible often enough. You couldn't pray to Him enough. You couldn't not, uh, watch enough YouTubes, T.D. Jakes or whoever else. You were just there. Nothing else mattered except your belief that God was there. You've been through this before. When the cancer came to your son or daughter, Satan was sifting you like wheat. When your wife or your husband said, I'm, I'm leaving, Satan was sifting you like wheat. When you got Lou Gehrig's disease, when you got Parkinson's, when you got MS, Satan was sifting you like wheat. He wanted to ruin you spiritually. And here's Jesus. And he was praying for you when that time came. He was praying for you. And his prayer worked, didn't it? You didn't turn your back on God. You didn't walk away from him. You got that much closer to him. And perhaps you actually thanked him that he allowed that nightmare suffering Because after the storm was over, you knew him like you had never known him before. He is praying for you. First John 5, 4, one of the powerful verses in the Bible. Whoever is born of God has overcome the world. Because the one in you is stronger than the one in the world. The one in you is stronger than finances, health, relationships, and the virus. The one in you is stronger than the one in the world. And then it says, who is the one that overcomes times like this? Then it gives the answer. The one who believes that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the victory that overcomes even your faith. Turn to 1 John 5, 4. Be strengthened by that verse and that promise. I close with this story. Perhaps you've heard it. Maybe it's been a long time. There is a pastor who is on an airplane. And as the airplane goes up for 15, 20 minutes, the Flight is very serene, very calm. Then there's a bump, there's a thud, plane shakes. Everyone on board looks at each other and says, what's that? The pilot of the plane says, "Uh, folks, fasten your seatbelts. Get out of the aisle, fasten your seatbelts. Attendants, fasten your seatbelts. No sooner does he say that than there's another jostle of the plane. Your fear increases. You have the seatbelt on, but your fear increases. And then all of a sudden the pastor said that plane, uh, like it was on an elevator, like it was a cork in the water, that plane just lifted into the skies and, and the lightning is flashing all around the plane. And no sooner is that plane lifted into the skies than it comes crashing down. Like the cork on the waves in the ocean, it comes crashing down. And the pastor says, I'm looking at everyone on that plane, 
And some of them are as white as a ghost. And some of them have their bags out and they're throwing up. And and every face on that plane is filled with enormous fear. Some have their eyes closed and they're praying silently. And others have their lips moving and they're praying out loud. Then the pastor said, I saw a little girl. Eight, nine years of age. And she's sitting in her seat, and she's reading a book. And her legs are tucked underneath her. And then she stops reading the book, and she straightens out her legs, and she closes her eyes a little bit. And a couple of minutes later, she opens them, and she goes back to reading her book. Pastor said, I kept looking at her because she was so calm. It made me calm. And when the plane landed safely and everyone was leaving, the pastor went up to the little girl and and said, Might I ask you one question? And she, she said, Sure. Can I ask you why you were so calm when everyone else was so frightened? And she said to him, She said, my daddy is the pilot, and he promised me that we would get home. Is that fair enough? My daddy is the pilot, my father in heaven, who created this universe, my father in heaven who sent his son to die for my salvation. My father is the pilot, and he is taking me home. I want you to remember the last word that Jesus said to Peter. Satan is sifting you as wheat. He wants to bring you to spiritual ruin. But I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail you. And when your faith has returned to you, (laughs) strengthen your brothers and your sisters. When your faith has returned to you, Strengthen others that are filled with fear. Strengthen others. Heavenly Father, how much it touches my heart that you pray for me as if I was the only person on this earth, that you pray for Connie and Josh and Rachel, that you pray for my sister and my brothers, that you pray for For my four grandchildren, I will never be able to thank you adequately until I get to heaven and throw my arms around you. May that be our peace, Lord. Satan using this to sift us as wheat, may that be our peace. That you are praying for us. And if God's own Son is praying then one second worth of prayer from his lips to his heavenly Father. And you and I are safe. Lord, continue to use us as vehicles, reaching out to other people as so many in this church are now doing, bringing groceries, calling just to make sure everyone's all right, things I have not seen in the 32 years I've been here. 
You are already invading this virus, Lord, and invading the lives of your people with acts of kindness, with more time spent worshiping you, and with lifting up our hands in prayer, joining you in the greatest weapon that mankind has, that weapon called prayer. Be with us, never a moment. We do not realize your presence, your peace, and your strength. In our Savior's name, amen. God be with each of you this week. Uh, Pastor Schauer and myself and Drew, who God has blessed with the abilities to spend enormous hours to make sure that we can come into your home. We're hoping that we don't come into your home too many more Sundays, all right? If it was three or four, uh, thank you, Lord, you know, can we get back to normal? I will say that this past Sunday, the two services combined 5,000 views that people checked in, and we don't know how long they stayed, but at least they checked in. And we are figuring that probably 1,500 members and people across the country uh, were part of that worship service. And that is easily twice as many as would sit in the pew on a Sunday morning. So God has blessed that enormously. But as I said, uh, we're hoping that uh, after three or four weeks that we are back, as well as all other churches and businesses, back in business, people able to come here to worship. That said, I I say, as I did last week, uh, offerings, what does one do? What does one do with offerings? You trust God that this will be short-lived. You trust God that this will not go on forever. You trust God that in another four weeks, eight weeks, whatever, that things will have returned to normal, both in our thought processes and in the markets and with regards to the virus. I was astonished on Monday, yesterday, by the number of offerings that were mailed in. I mentioned last week we sent you a letter, we sent you a couple of envelopes. I I was just astonished at the number of envelopes that came in on Monday. Thank you for your faith. Thank you for your faith. And thank you for your faithfulness and your generosity. If you are able to give an offering, then God be praised. Um, Fast forward pledges, Good Samaritan Fund. Uh, God will come to you and he'll whisper to you. And he'll say, here's what ought to be done right now. We do realize that the only way, as the Catholic Pope said, the only way that any churches stay open is through the generosity of God's people. We have this marvelous school. We have an extraordinarily marvelous church and school. Your offerings help to keep those ministries alive. So you pray for us, okay, this business, this ministry here, and you know that I am praying for you in the restaurants and tax preparers and accountants and and all of the people, Uber drivers, who have been affected by this. May God come quickly and lift this virus, and may we return to fullness of health in the health realm and in the financial realm. God's peace be with you. Heavenly Father, we come to you, the prayer I have offered for a decade for my family. May there never be a moment we do not recognize your presence, your peace, and your strength. 
We may not always feel it, Lord, because feelings fluctuate, but may there never be a moment we do not recognize your presence, your peace, and your strength. Your promises to your children are true, and they are real. My father is the pilot of this plane, and he promised to take me home. In our Savior's name, amen.